0: This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska. A place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. If you knew
1: that, that God was looking down from heaven and he was smiling at you, I mean, just imagine for a minute, Almighty God, he's, he's looking at you, and, and he's pleased with you. What I'm suggesting is, is something that is both doable, but also it, it has its challenge and, and difficulty. What, what I'm getting at is going to be, it's within reach of everyone here, doesn't matter how old or young or background, but it also is going to be a stretch what i'm talking about is faith I'm talking about actively trusting god and i think it is hard i think it is very hard to trust someone who's invisible right i think it is hard to put faith in trust when it comes to prayer and you don't know exactly, precisely, how is God going to respond? Now, maybe you don't struggle with prayer, but but I find it a challenge. I think it's hard to trust, put your faith in God when it seems like, at times, he's not involved in the things of your little world <laughs> The things that you care about, it seems like he's absent. It's hard to trust. But when you do, in the midst of whatever is challenging, when you still trust him, he's pleased. He is looking down and he is smiling on you. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith... and." I'm going to be going back and forth between the the John 20 passage that was read here and different verses in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You will not and cannot have God's pleasure, His smile on you without faith. And I would define it as actively trusting Him. That's why I like the disciple Thomas. Sometimes he's nicknamed Doubting Thomas, and I would suggest maybe it's better called um, Honest Thomas because he's just he's being very honest with the questions and the doubts that he has. Think of our our Bible passage in the situation that was just read when. Someone dies. Our experience—I I dare say, every single one in our room—our experience is they're they're gone. Okay. To, to put it bluntly, they stay dead. Okay. I'm stating the obvious, but see, that is Thomas's dilemma. Jesus died on Friday. Sunday, the disciples are saying. Jesus didn't stay dead, and Thomas. I commend him for his courage. He said, "Unless I see with my with my own eyes, I'm not going to believe." I mean, if you take Judas out of the equation, you still have ten disciples to one, ten against one, and he says, "I'm, I've got i I've got to." Put my fingers in the in the nail prints. I've got to see, make sure it's not like a a a ghost, a spirit, before I'm going to believe. I think good for Thomas. I mean, I'm I'm personally I'm tracking with Thomas because I can doubt with the best of them. Someone said this about doubt. This is so important, it better be true. It's no small, inconsequential thing if Jesus didn't stay dead. And a whole week goes by, nothing. And then sometime, the following Sunday, seemingly out of nowhere, Jesus shows up. Now, I want to just say a Just a a total tangent for a moment. Jesus appearing to his followers on Sunday, along with the resurrection itself that happened on Sunday, contributed to those early believers using Sunday as their primary day for worship. Sunday reminded them of the resurrection. So back to our story. After a startling sudden appearance, doors are locked, boom, Jesus is in the room, and he says, Hey, calm down, be, be at peace. He cuts to the chase and he says, Thomas, touch the wounds. Okay? And then he says, Stop doubting and believe. Stop being faithless. And believe. And I think that challenge is as relevant today as it was for Thomas. Because I think if we we're all honest, we all have our questions and doubts. We're talking about important stuff, stuff that you would give your life to, hopefully, but it is huge stuff. Ask questions, investigate, look for proof find answers, poured on, but after a while, all of us have to stop doubting and believe or we're never going to believe at all. Doubting, it can be a bottomless pit. Mark Buchanan, in his book, Your God is Too Safe, writes, Here lies the basic flaw of all doubt. It can never really be satisfied. No evidence is ever fully, finally enough. Doubt always wants to uh, consume, never to consummate. It clamors endlessly for answer and it drowns out any answer that might be given it. It demands proof But doubts, the proof, proffered it. I mean, isn't that true? We're looking for answers. Somebody gives us an answer. Somebody gives us proof. Somebody gives us evidence. And then we start questioning the proof. Doubt, then, can become an appetite gone wrong. Its craving increases the more we try to fill it. Christ's concluding words to Thomas were not so much an endorsement of, Hey, just, just believe as a warning that the quest for truth is not the path of blessedness he's referring to john 20:29 20, where jesus says okay because you've seen me you're blessed thomas merton said this we don't first see and then act we act and then see and we have to proceed with faith if we're going to know God and have the smile of his pleasure. I'm, I'm glad, because I identify with Thomas, I am really glad whenever God does break into our natural world in more overt, obvious ways like he did with Thomas. There's another account in the Bible where he, before going back up into heaven, he appears to over 500 people at one time. And I'm thinking... Wow, I mean that's not like just one or a disciple. Five hundred—they can't all be crazy people or, you know, hallucinating. And people wrote it down. Okay, Jesus didn't stay dead. Hundreds of people saw him. They wrote wrote about it. It wasn't my experience, but I still can be encouraged by their experience. Later, John 20, uh, 30 and 31, it says, Jesus did all kinds of other miracles. Only a subset of them were written down. But the ones that were written down were written down so we believe, so we can have trust in him. I have other stories, just, just my own personal stories that I've heard. Personally, I have never heard an audible voice from God. But I have a friend happens to be named Nathan, uh, Minnesota, but Nathan, who heard an audible voice from God. It was on a Sunday. Well, it was in church. I don't think it was a Sunday. Anyway, and say he's sitting over here. And everything was okay, but his wife happened to be over there in the back. And he hears what, what to him is an audible voice. A very significant message that related to a career decision that he was fighting against. And it was, to him, audible enough that he's looking around, you know, who's speaking to me? And no one else hears anything. But it's it's kind of a chilling message. He goes home, he's got to tell his wife. Before he tells her what he said... She tells him, and I believe it was an identical quote, she tells him the exact message that God told him. And I know Nathan, I mean, he he is as honest as the day is long. It wasn't my experience, but I am sure encouraged that sometimes God, he speaks in what seems to be an audible voice very clearly. And I'm encouraged by it. I know different examples of miraculous healing. I know it doesn't happen all the time, but sometimes miraculous healing, and I'm not, you read stuff in books, that's encouraging. But I'm also thinking of people that have gone to this church, and I hear their stories. One, maybe it's a smaller example, but... um, Pastor Hank and Lil Pearson's son, Dan, is also a pastor. He's out in Wisconsin now, and he prayed for a gentleman in his church named Bill who cut the end of his finger off, maybe a third of the the end of his finger off, on a, a, a milk, he was closing the valve on a milk truck, and he watches the end of his finger go down the drain. And uh, I've got, okay, I've got a picture of it. That's, okay, so this first one is a little... Um, Okay, well, and I'm a guy, so it doesn't matter to me. It's just biological, right? And Dan, person of faith, he said, well, let's pray for your finger. And he prays, and over the weeks that follow, okay, you got a maybe too good an image of this. Here's his finger now, okay? Now, I understand that this isn't as significant as like a CAT scan of a tumor, and I tried to get that. <laughs> I know somebody else, I'm not, I don't have the freedom to give their name, but somebody that goes here had pancreatic cancer a number of years ago, two tumors on their pancreas. And okay, what do you do? You, you, you get a biopsy, you send it out, it came back cancerous. So now you gotta hurry up and schedule surgery. And before the surgery happens, You know, call leaders of the church, pastors together, pray, anoint. We did that for healing. Surgery comes, doctor uh, opens up, and he's puzzled. There is only one tumor there. And he knows there's supposed to be two. And he's looking around for a second tumor. But in, in the real life of surgery, you can't keep a person open that long. And so he looks as long as he dares look, and he closes up. The tumor that they remove, okay, you send it out for tests, it comes back non-cancerous. One tumor, and I tried to get the CAT scan of of the thing and it just didn't happen. One tumor disappears, the other one non-cancerous. And the person over the years, you get the clean bill of health. My faith is strengthened and encouraged when I hear God breaking into our world in miraculous ways and active. I only wish it were more often, but I'm encouraged when it does happen. I have guardian angel stories, and I'm only going to share one. And actually, I've got a little video clip. It's a situation that happened to Bill and Ruth Partlow back in January of 2009. The back story before the video is Bill had a heart attack. They're out in Palmer. Calls the ambulance. The ambulance is at their house. The neighbor across the way, Christian people, Jason, Sarah, look out their window. They see the ambulance. They say, hey, we got to pray. And they start praying. Their three-year-old daughter, okay, three years old, children, Three-year-old daughter, Sophie, looks out the window and sees angels. Here's Ruth telling the story.
2: Sophie, the little three-year-old, said, Mommy, there's somebody at the Partlow's house. And so she looked, and then she saw the ambulance. So she got them in the car. Oh, no, she grabbed them, and she said, Girls, we have to pray. And so they went in the house, and they got to the window that faced our house, and they lifted their hands... And they started praying. Uh, And Sophie, the three-year-old, said, And Mommy, I saw the angels. And uh, so she was in such a hurry, she didn't respond at that time. And that's when she came over and prayed for Bill, and then she took Ella off to kindergarten. So when they came home about noon, she said, Sophie, she said, "Um, what What did you say about the angels? And uh, she said, what did you see? And Sophie said, Mommy, she said, I saw angels all around the Partlow's house. She said, some were out in the driveway. Some had trumpets that they were blowing. And she said, others were walk- going into the house. And she said, their wings were fluttering very gently. And um,
1: She's given a lot of detail.
2: She is. Yeah, she gave it couldn't be detail. a makeup story for to have that much detail. Yeah. And, um, three year old can
0: make up, sorry, anyway.
2: So, anyway, um, <coughs> she called me later that day and told me what had happened that how Sophie had seen the angels. And she said, you know, Sophie, ever since she was 18 months old, she said, she's been my little prayer warrior. And she said, she doesn't just pray, bless them, she plays, she prays specifically. And so anyway, uh, I just I, I just want to add this that we feel so humbled to think that God has come into our lives in such a a personal and real way. I mean a tangible way. Yeah. And um, also I believe that God lets little children see things that we as adults don't see because we have to figure everything out yeah i didn't see those angels and the thing but i don't doubt them
1: isn't that true isn't that how and then okay so there's evidence but then we start doubting the evidence questioning sometimes god and the spiritual world breaks into our physical world in tangible ways and It's not like that most of the time, but I am encouraged when it does. And the rest of the time, which is most of the time, we have to live and walk by faith, by by trusting God. Thomas, so he has this experience, and he confesses, you are my Lord and my God. Jesus replies, blessed are those who have not seen you know, you, you you believe because you saw. Blessed are those who have not seen, had this dramatic experience, and believe. God honors when we trust Him, in spite of not having. Experience. God honors that trust. Hebrews eleven six says, "Without faith, it is impossible to please God." You want to flip that around? God is pleased if we put our faith, if we put our trust in Him. I've been defining faith as active trust, but Hebrews eleven one has it a whole lot more uh, strong than just say, "Okay, faith is actively trusting God." It says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. That that little phrase, "being sure," in the original language, is a noun. It conveys a substance. It's like you have a title deed of ownership. It's it's a guarantee. It's confidence. It's proof. Biblical faith is concrete, real, objective, tangible. How many ways can you say it? And the person of faith lives in... It's hard to know how to, to, to phrase it, but in... The reality of, of God's greater truths. Okay? Because we're talking about stuff we can't see, but it's real. Second Corinthians four eighteen says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. That's about everything we know. Temporary. What is unseen. Is not temporary. It's eternal. And the person of faith sees that unseen world as real and concrete and tangible. Two slightly inaccurate examples. None of us can see, unless we have a microscope, something like that. None of us can see the germs and the bacteria and uh, viruses that are around us. We don't doubt they're there. A number of us might get a flu shot to, to fight against something that we don't see. Or you can't see the sound waves of my voice. I don't think anyone's doubting that there's something in the air there. Referring back to Hebrews 11 verses 3 and 6, A person of faith believes in the existence of an invisible God who created a visible world out of speaking, out of... He created visible stuff out of stuff that's invisible. Philip Yancey writes in his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, faith means striking out with no clear end in sight and perhaps even no clear view of the next step. It means following, trusting, holding out a hand to an invisible guide, as Thomas Graham, Dean of a Theological School, put it. I like this this line. Faith is reason gone courageous. Not the opposite of reason, to be sure, but something more more than reason, never satisfied by reason alone. A step always remains beyond the range of sight. We have confidence in an invisible God because he has acted in tangible ways in this world. And when we act uh, sometimes boldly and actively trust this God, he rewards that faith. He is pleased. He's looking down and he smiles on the person of faith. Do you want that kind of faith? Do you want to say I I want to be certain of what I don't see? If I were sitting in your shoes, <laughs> I'd say, well, so the guy next door but it's not going to happen to me. Okay? I'm that kind of a doubter fascinating passage about faith <laughs> you know you want more faith that make a note of Luke 17:5 and 6 Luke 17:5 and 6 the disciples they're going to the source Jesus they want more faith they said Jesus increase our faith good question or request and Jesus answer he kind of comes out of the box he says you don't need more faith <laughs> All you need is a mustard seed, and we don't have mustard whatever around here, but it's like the size of a sesame seed on a hamburger bun. Tiny faith, that's all you need. Quite an answer. Uh, imagine infinity. Okay, I know, it's endless. Um, it's endless. What is a little bit of infinity? <laughs> it's just logic or what? What's, what's even a little bit? Isn't even a little bit of infinity still infinite? God is infinite. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, and, you know, on and on. And a little bit, a tiny faith in an infinite God, I don't know what you call... What is a tiny faith in an infant God? It is... Whatever it is, it's more than we can imagine. The issue isn't how much faith you have, but the object of your faith. Who are you placing your trust in? You you see why this is... There's something about it that is very doable, but also a stretch. Because it is having faith in God like a small child will trust their mom or dad. They just, they just do it. Hebrews 11 has all kinds of examples of men and women who are walking in faith. And you know what? Everyone has a different path, a different journey of faith. They're all unique. Our walk of faith is unique, and quite frankly, some are going to have an easier walk than others. Your walk of faith is unique to you. Trust God in all of it. No one in Hebrews 11, and certainly not Thomas, had perfect faith. They all had struggles, human beings. God still accepts imperfect faith. John Calvin wrote this about the people listed in Hebrews 11 there was not one of those uh, whose faith did not falter in every saint there's always to be found something reprehensible that's something bad nevertheless although faith may be imperfect and incomplete it does not cease it does not cease to be approved by god there is no reason therefore why the fault? Okay, we're imperfect, but why the fault from which we labor should break us or discourage us? Uh, provided we go on by faith in in the race of our calling. If if you're like the the honest doubting Thomas, and you've got your questions, but you're going to trust God in the midst of that, He is. Pleased with you. If you struggle with prayer and you you can't figure out how it works, and you pray anyway, I'll leave the result. Let God figure it out. God is smiling at you. If if you struggle, maybe you're trying to just figure out how to put one foot in front of the other. But you haven't given up on God. I know people seem like they just chuck it all and give up on God. And I understand the struggle. If you're not one of those people, and you trust God anyway, He is so pleased with you. I don't know how this world is treating you. I don't know what challenges you face, okay? Everyone's unique. But when you actively trust God in the midst of it all, those actions of faith please him. And he is pleased with you. And one additional thing, God has something Better in store for people of faith. All that unseen stuff is real, it's eternal. Amen. Pray with me a minute. Lord God, I. Pray, I ask that we all have faith that can see beyond our natural eyes. and we can see you, your kingdom. Help us persevere. honor, honor the, the struggling, imperfect steps of faith. God, thank you for encouragement that comes just in knowing we can please you and have your smile on us. For Jesus' sake, amen.